Hello friends. Welcome back to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me, Jumont McGowan. This is a podcast to support the incredible work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of children and adults with dyslexia so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. They do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and teach them to read for free. Everything is free at the point of use. Today, my guest is Dr. Jonas Hayes. He's been a doctor for 18 months, the last year of which, as you can imagine, has been as strange and challenging as I'm sure it has been for you. Uh, He hosts his own podcast, The Medico Podcast, uh, which is where he and co-host Emily discuss tough topics in healthcare and uh, specific diseases or injuries. It's it's a really wonderful tool if if you're a medical student, obviously, for uh, revision, but it's also uh, great for the casual listener who, who wants to learn about the body. What I loved about this episode was his passion, his passion for what he does, about the potentiality of the human body, that no two days as a doctor are, are the same. He's, he's like a detective, you know, he, he pieces together the symptoms as clues to determine a diagnosis for his patients. And we get into all of that in this episode. So here we go. I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, hello and welcome to Jonas. Um, firstly, I want to ask how you are, because I always assume you've probably come from a 22-hour shift and got an hour's sleep and <laughs> barely eaten or something like that. No, I'm okay today, thanks. Um, had a good number of colleagues with me on my shift, so it's been okay, actually. Good, good. I'm very glad. I'm very glad. So I want to go straight in with um, what I think is a heavy-hitting question, which is why did you decide to become a doctor? And what did you imagine it to be versus what it really is? You know, what is your lived-in reality? Oh, that's that's quite a classic question, to be fair. I feel like I'm being stepped back into my med school interviews. They're always keen on oh, asking that no. question. <laughs> oh, I've just so gone what... too cliche. <laughs> no, I mean, I think uh, as far as the reasons that I wanted to do medicine and wanted to become a doctor, like, I... I'm absolutely obsessed with science and the human body, and I think it's absolutely fascinating. So I know that sounds quite cliche in itself, but I can't get away from that. And so um, it being always something that's piqued my interest. I mean, the other side of it is the fact that you kind of get to combine that with people and you get to interact with people and, you know, be part of their stories and, and, really like get involved in their lives as well which is which is probably the really fantastic part um so yeah so it's sort of that combination between the two that makes medicine really quite special Mm. so i think that's that's probably why i wanted to do it as far as um what i sort of imagined it to be versus um my sort of lived experience well i think this year maybe set aside slightly i think I think you you tend to get a reasonable idea of um, what you think medicine and what you think life as a doctor is going to be like. They don't sort of tend to, they, they like at, at med school interviews and stuff for you to have kind of done a bit of work experience and been able to uh, be in that environment a bit more. So they like you to have an idea of what you're getting yourself in for as such. Um, so I would think I kind of had a good idea of what it would be like. I knew that it would be a, a busy work that I that it would be different every yeah. day that there'd be varied stuff and that it would be quite important work. I think 
the thing that I probably didn't consider quite so much um, at the time as I as I do now is how important you are in people's lives and the kind of part you can play in their story as far as as far as talking to them about issues, talking to them about things that um, really affect them. So, I mean, at the moment, I find myself, unfortunately, tasked with with having to talk to lots of people about um, about their loved ones and about how unwell they are and yes. having to, unfortunately, talk to lots of people about, you know, when we think that they're not doing so well and that we think they're likely to die. And that's probably something that I didn't, probably something that I didn't expect that I would do as often as I'm unfortunately doing at the moment. But yeah. um, so that's a, probably something that's a bit different to what I expected. Um, but you do in that play a really big part in people's lives because you're trying to sort of talk them through a process, guide them through a process and, you know, deal with what is a massive issue in their lives and a massive uh, turning point for many. So I think, you know, that although it sounds terrible, it's quite a special job in that way because you do get to play that part in people's lives. And yeah, I think that's important. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I'm going to keep our powder dry because <laughs> I think people <laughs> probably anticipated we might crack into this year gone by and uh, the pandemic. Uh, but um, I want to I want to jump into into that. So, so my experience... Um, and you know, uh, listeners may, may differ, but my experience quite often with doctors, uh, so, so my, um, my step, no, sorry, my, my godmother is, uh, she's head of pediatrics at Glasgow, uh, hospital and she is, uh, very direct, you know, doesn't suffer fools, um, does not attempt not to engage herself in the emotions of her, of her, um, patients you know it's very much in that you know um try to look at things as uh, with as much cool reason as you can you know because you're in what is a you know potentially really heightened emotional position you know and if you get too engaged in people's lives um and in and and and, and caring too much you know you might not be able to function through the job but but listening to you and listening to your podcast it feels like there's uh, there's a, a connection that you that you enjoy with your patients. Is is do you, do you struggle with with the emotional, or is or, or do you have a, a, a healthy um, relationship to mortality and and death? That's such a good question. I hope I hope I have a a, a reasonably healthy relationship, and I think maybe it's unfair to say that. Um, it would be unfair to say that it doesn't sort of affect you, the things that you go through and the kind of emotions of, of the job. But well, It has to, surely. Yeah, I, but I think, you you know, you have to, for me, I have to engage with that and have to, you know, I have to discuss it. I have to talk about it. Fortunately, um, Emily, my other half, is is medical as well. So we are able to, you know, we're able to talk about things together. And I think that's really what gets me through. Um, the other side, I think... I'm not only sort of engaged in the in the emotions of of medicine as well. I, I mean, I, I'm always fascinated by the by the the subject itself, kind of by the disease process, by the science of what goes in behind it as well. And I'm I kind of can I'm able to take in equal measure the kind of 
the the sad bits with the the bits of joy that you have and with the bits of sort of amazement that you're able to take from I don't know you know machines that are able to keep people alive are are amazing and you know yeah. I'm able to to engage with those in a way that um you know maybe makes me see the other side of it a bit I don't I'm not sure but um yeah and 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 enjoying playing the detective working out what the diagnosis is looking at the symptoms and and going uh this is it this is this is what I think you have oh definitely and finding like patterns in finding patterns in you know blood test results and finding patterns in symptoms and trying to to draw on things that uh, you know you're scraping from the back of your head oh I think I've heard of something like this or you know maybe this is this and and bringing that together can be that can be really exciting that can be really joyful when you are able to have those little moments of inspiration about what you think is going on or just you know I, I suppose at my level I'm, I'm a relatively junior doctor so if I'm if I'm able to sort of you know diagnose something that's a, a maybe a little bit a little bit more complicated or something like that I'm able to feel really pleased with myself in that respect so yeah. I think you know taking moments of joy in that I think is is important and so um yeah I try and do that yeah I mean I, I can I can feel some people um might think you know you have a long shift you know 16 hour brutal and I assume you've had a fair few of those over the last year and then you get home and some people you know might be forgiven for going you know what, I'd love a partner who um, hasn't potentially had an equally, you know, harrowing day. I just want to talk about anything other than than medicine. But do you think, I mean, from what I'm gathering, your relationship, it's actually really helpful to have a partner who understands what you're going through and you can you can talk more about what it was that was, you know, was tough that day. Yeah, I mean, everyone's different, but... Um... So I think you probably would have your people who who would want to to get home and kind of forget about what's happened, not not necessarily have to relive it all again. But I don't know. For me, I think it's it's always been a bit better to be able to you know problem shared is problem halved, that kind of that kind of mentality. Yeah, I, I know. I I mean, I'm personally in the in the last year and stuff. Fortunately, I've not had to had to work many of your kind of your sixteen hour things. I think that's. That's probably where we've uh, we started drawing the line at sort of uh, our twelve-hour days, thirteen-hour days, at least for for doctors. I know that Good. some some nursing staff and things have sort of worked in and on sort of longer than that, um, especially this year. Um, so fortunately, I've been able to 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 try and get those breaks and that rest in between. Um, but yeah, good to be able to talk to someone about it. In my in my view, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as I say, I don't want to brood too much on on the darkness, but it is invariably a reality. It's a lived-in reality for you. I'm sure there was a conversation when you were studying to be a doctor, you know, about misdiagnosis can potentially lead to, you know, mortality, and you and you have to live with that. That's, I mean, that's that's tough. Um, I always think that that's something so commendable. Uh, of any anyone entering the medical profession is is that they your need your desire to do good and help people outweighs the fact that you may make a mistake at one stage in your career which 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 could lead to problems um i mean how how does that sit with you well 
I think it probably sits with different people dependent on their experience. I'm probably quite lucky in that as as I'm still relatively junior, I've not, you know, I've not um, had many of those kind of terrible incidents where, you know, where people would um, sort of have, have, or people have, you know, really come to harm by any mistakes I've made and, and things like that, as far as I'm aware anyway. But, um, yeah. but you know, I think one of the things that I've, I've kind of talked about before on, on Instagram and things is, is about making mistakes and being able to, to look at those because I think we can't sort of live in a blame culture. We've got to be able to look at our mistakes and think about, you know, what were the root causes of those? And it's normally, it's normally more than just, you know, just yourself doing something wrong. There's normally many factors. We talk about like the Swiss cheese model in medicine of there being sort of lots of holes in a piece of Swiss cheese. And for something to go wrong, something's has to pass through all these different points at which it could have been picked up for, for a yeah. problem to have occurred. And so I think, yeah, I mean, I know that I've, I've done things, um, even during my quite short career so far, I've only been sort of practicing for about sort of 18 months, um, or over, you know, there are things, obviously mistakes I've made, no one's come to sort of direct harm from it, but you know, it's always, it is always in the background of your mind, you know, if you miss anything that that could be, that could be a real problem. If you, if you prescribe anything incorrectly, that could cause, cause harm. And so you've got to be kind of aware of that whilst you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you are, um, utilizing flexible thought, you know, um, looking at, looking at it, as you say, using the Swiss cheese model, um, is blame helpful, um, here, you know, how can we learn from it? How can we prevent it from happening? Um, I've listened, you know, to your pod and, and, and you had that wonderful guest talk about mental health and her mental well-being. Um, was, was that something that, that you were helped with when you were studying, um, as a doctor, you know, because I just, the mental strain that you guys must go through is, is, must be huge. So I would hope you know, you were given really robust tools to help you deal with, with the stress. Well, you, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm not sure we, I'm not sure we were really. I think, I think med school as an experience, um, I've said is a bit like exposure therapy in that you start off being absolutely frightened of everything, including your shadow. And yeah. you find yourself, um, when you start transitioning into clinical years where you're in hospitals, on wards and things, you think that if you're going to touch anything, any, you know, any button, any curtain, you know, you, you're either, you're always in the way and you, <laughs> no matter what you do, no matter where you stand, you find yourself, you know, in the way. And, um, and you think that anything you do might absolutely lead to someone's catastrophic end. Um, <laughs> and so you have to kind of get over that quite quickly because you stick around for more than a day. And so you've kind of got to then get over every little step. You know, you go to take blood for the first time and you're, you know, you're freaking out about that, but you get over that. Yeah. And, um, you know, you go on to do, to do more and varied things and find that those parts where you might feel a bit anxious, you kind of have to have to push through them because it's what you're doing. And, and as I say, do that bit of exposure therapy and get through. And so I think maybe that does build into you a bit of, a bit more of robustness. But as far as the kind of mental health, looking after yourself, it's probably not something that even as far as we covered in, in med school as such, it's probably more, 
they're probably thinking about it now though more so and, and probably thinking about how to introduce it yeah i mean they're not alone in that you know um my girlfriend's also an actress and and uh she she's been working because our industry is dead um for a publisher and 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 they've been you know bringing in uh mindfulness coaches and and giving them uh you know the calm app uh memberships for a year but yeah i mean i'd i'd absolutely hope that they were giving you guys some support is was is there a high um dropout you know so when you're going through this exposure therapy as you call it um and uh, sticking needles in arms and 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 going through it do people did was there uh, a high or low rate of people going do you know what no this isn't for me uh <laughs> i'm i'm not going to do this anymore I think it's probably it's probably surprisingly low actually because I think by the time you've got there you've probably invested quite a lot so you've probably invested quite a lot of your time um oh, unfortunately yeah. quite a lot of um sort of finances can go into you know medical training and so you know that's that's another investment and you kind of invest a lot of yourself in the process of getting in and then once you're in you know trying to trying to get through it so I think probably people are, are reticent to to drop out. I know that, as you'd expect with any group of people in their in their sort of young twenties, uh, and obviously you know we have graduates who are older than that and stuff who who train. But um, you know we're all people who will have um, experiences in life which will, might cause them to to drop out for ill health or family reasons or things like that. But I don't actually think it's it's all that high, which is probably good. Certainly, yes. Um, what I'd love from you um, is your Adam K moment. You know, I'm sure people will be aware. Adam K used to be a doctor. Um, he's now a celebrated author, and uh, he has a, a marvelous stage show in which he details um, hilarious moments uh, that, that he encountered as a doctor. Um, yeah, some some hilarious, some some heartbreaking. Um, do you do you have something similar? I mean, I because I voraciously read all those um, those doctors ones. You know, do, do no you? Harm you're and, quite you're quite into those. I love them. They're so, they're just they're just so wonderful. I mean, I won't ruin dear listener um, if you haven't read them, but they are so. I mean, some of Adam K's are so funny, um, as you can imagine. Some some people um, uh, coming into triage or whatever it is uh with objects um inserted into places that they shouldn't be for example yeah i i mean i think i probably have um some of the probably the funny stories probably sound really funny to to when you're discussing them amongst sort of medical people but then really fail to grasp the imagination when <laughs> when it comes to oh, okay. discussing them with, with other people but i think I mean, I I, know, I can talk about something that I've done that's that's particularly stupid. And um, please go for it. As a, as a medical student, you're you're taught to be able to take a history, and the history being what they say is sort of ninety percent of the diagnosis. So it's really important to be able to take a full and methodical medical history from someone. Um, part of that medical history is taking a family history. So lots of conditions relevant to uh, you know to genetics and things like that, whether whether their family suffered from them. So um, you're trying to grasp and find your own way around how you ask these questions. And uh, I found myself once um, 
there, uh, you know, with a with a doctor as a medical student, trying to take this history, trying to you know impress and be able to um, do one of my assessments and things. And I get through to this part where I, you know I'm going to ask about family history, and I I ch- direct this question at this chap who's lying in the bed, and I say to him, okay, you know, and um, oh, and you know, what did what did your father die of? And um, he looks at me a little bit funny, and there from the corner sparks up a voice of a man going, "What do you mean? I'm still here." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there I am asking him what he died of, and he's sitting in the corner. But you know, you you oh, do man. just say so many stupid things. Um, you know that you've got to be forgiven for, and unfortunately, people are quite are quite forgiving. You know, if you if you end up doing a bit of slapstick comedy because you've dropped you know a tray of stuff everywhere or whatever, patients do tend to tend to forgive you. So that's yeah, quite good. Absolutely. I mean, that is that is life, though, isn't it? I mean the uh comedic can sit alongside um you know your mortality uh so my girlfriend uh, her dad sadly passed away seven years ago and um the things that her and her mum find funny um because you know the alternative is 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 to be desperately sad about it um you know they they really enjoy um quite uh you think like dark humor around it mm. um and I, I would guess that happens quite often um, at work, uh, because because as I say, the alternative is 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 uh, is so dark. Mm, I mean, there's there's something about that kind of. Sometimes there is a is a is a, a that gallows humour. I think probably among among medical professionals. I know that you know there's one incidence where. Um, you know, a family member is sitting at a patient's bedside. This a patient, unfortunately, was suffering from pancreatitis, most likely due to you know due to alcohol, and they were yeah. they were just so uh, they were you know really really unwell. Patient was being you know having to be ventilated, you know, and you know all sorts of life support essentially. Yeah. And the the family member there is 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 willing that patient through. And you know, is there the patient's partner, and says to says to her, "Oh, you know, if you get through this, you know, I'll, I'll get you that Stella." And you're just thinking, <laughs> "No, that's that's what caused no. the problem." There's something cruel and and yes. about that sort of cruel irony that that you know that that's going to be the thing that that gets that gets her through is going to be that that Stella, even though that's what's absolutely yeah. caused the problem in the first place. So I don't oh, know. Man. There's there's moments like that where if you, I think if you if you if you don't find something in it, you'll be you'll just cry. I think. Yeah, absolutely. What what's the most surprising thing in your experience so far um, that, that that you've seen? You know, like an obscure uh, disease or um, you know something a, a cause of a, of an issue that was entirely unexpected. Oh, I don't know. Um... I should really, I should really revise my uh, my list of of hilarious and interesting patient cases really for you, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, I mean, one thing that I really like um, that I found really interesting, and I think whenever you pick up on something that you learn at Mount Med School and then you see, it's always fantastic and so good to see. Um, one of the things I really liked is doing a, a, a pediatrics placement and um, seeing a a family with something called osteogenesis imperfecta, which um, right. is a condition of the bones but essentially the one of the most interesting things about it is that it gives you so you know the sclera the white part of the eyes it, yes. it means they're light blue oh wow and, um, which 
which, you know, you think when you walk into the cubicle that it's just those blue curtains reflecting off their eyes, but no, you, you know, you get, you get them out and it's the whole, the whole family um, had this condition. And um, oh, wow. yeah, that was just, that was just incredible to see actually, to be able to, to pick that up and, and such a stark sign. So that was, that was really interesting. That's wild. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, some really, there's some really good stuff. <laughs> that's yeah. why, that's why I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, I, is it, I mean, I guess no two days are the same. Is that oh, part of what makes it amazing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can't um, you can't get away from the fact that everything you know you 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 might see something you've never seen before every day, which is which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, this is a dyslexia podcast, and yes, know, we've we've been nattering on for about half an hour, and we haven't. I feel like yet. I've drawn you slightly off that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very much trying to make this feel as organic as as we can, and it just uh, and and it comes up as organically as possible. But you know, that probably was my best work. That wasn't the best segue I've ever I've ever done. Um, so so we're just gonna we're gonna go for it as on the nose as it is. Yeah, sure. Um, how does dyslexia intersect with with you, and how does it uh, intersect with you know learning your trade as it were? Because one listens to you now, one listens to your podcast and, you know, uh, I wouldn't say words uh, are an issue. Um, but then, you know, I'm not with you when you're studying up and, and learning and all these incredibly long words. Um, you know, what, what was your practical way of attacking learning those? So it's a, it's a really good question. I think that um, being a doctor actually leaves... Uh, a wide range of things where if you're a bit dyslexic you can fall down on so as you kind of said there's lots of complex terminology really long words spelt magical and wonderful ways there yeah. are you know there are dr d drugs with doses of drugs that you have to be able to either recall from memory in an emergency or prescribe accurately or calculate um, there are a multitude of blood values and investigation results that you find yourself having to interpret, look at, and then recall and relate to someone else when they ask you, oh, and what was their, you know, what was their hemoglobin and what was their this and what was their that? And you have to be able to sprout that information off out of memory at times and give it to them. So there's yes. loads of there's loads of potential pitfalls, and in particular, you know, you you for those of us that are still handwriting notes, which I unfortunately have to report is quite a large part of the NHS is still with handwritten <laughs> notes. Um, yeah, we we have to illegible. make well, you know, so you know, my my writing handwriting wise. Um, at least I have the kind of excuse now that I am a doctor, so it's okay to be this scrawly. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but fortunately, it, it, it probably falls somewhere in the middle of, of, of how bad the handwriting can be. But, you know, mm. you've got to try and make it legible for the people who are reading it and trying to, to follow any of the plans that you set or, uh, or follow any of that. So that's really yeah. important. So I'd um, say you've, you've successfully terrified probably... 99.9% of our listenership with the sheer volume of stuff that you have to be across. So, so how did, how did you get your brain around it? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? So you think, Oh God, you know, there's so many complex and, you know, and, and things that are going to be really difficult uh, for you, potentially if you're, if you're, if you're dyslexic and struggling with those things, I think 
the one thing that has seen me through is finding a bit of a strategy to be able to remember any of it though you've got to you've got to find your ways to to remember this stuff and i'm i'm really fortunate in that i had quite a bit of help um when it was sort of identified that i was dyslexic right from right from sort of early school days um to be able to learn strategies and then i'm able to sort of apply them into my into my life and into my training now i think the some of the key things are around um kind of problem solving and elaboration around ideas so we know that you know when you're trying to remember uh, a single value it you know it doesn't feel like it it means very much to you so you know if you say oh well what's their potassium well it's it's four you know four millimoles okay okay well you know what does that mean anything to you well not really but if you add some information around it that can um sort of cement it in your mind a lot more so if you think if you're able to sort of see patients who you're like well that was a patient with a a potassium that was six and we had to do this and we had to do that and and you know that's where it came up to being an issue and you know if you're able to bring those experiences and, and wrap them around the numbers and the concepts that are really difficult for you I think that's for me anyhow how I managed to 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 kind of keep abreast of things like that all right that is interesting so you had to wrap up uh, a particularly tricky word or idea in something experiential or something sensual, for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think maybe it's it's helped because it, it's probably using that strategy that's probably helped me in various aspects of medicine because you find yourself um, trying to work out co- really complex concepts. Yeah. Um, you know, with multiple steps and because I'm quite used to, so, you know, I can, I can quite happily tell you that I've, you know, I've I've never, never been able to grasp times tables, which, you know, seems, you know, now we have calculators, so it doesn't matter apparently, but (laughs) at school, school, apparently this really matters that you're able to to recall your times tables. Um, And the majority of people just, you know, memorize times tables. It's something that comes, they, they do all those rhymes and things and and that seems to be fine. Um, Yeah. But you know, if if maybe you're you're a bit dyslexic or you know in in areas, you you find it quite difficult to just remember a bunch of numbers in a times table. It doesn't really mean anything to me. So, kind of having to find my way around, and and every time I'm sort of asked what something times something else is, I have to work it out every time by you know this plus this plus this plus this, you know, and and doing yeah. those multiple steps to get to the answer trying to yeah. do that as, as quickly as I can to make it look like I'm uh, make it look like I'm remembering it like everyone else does. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I'm the same. I'm the yeah. same completely. And you, you go, hmm, yeah, I'll drag that out of my memory. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm just trying to actually work it out. Um, having, yeah. to, having to take that on and do that, I think, means that I'm able to apply that to other scenarios. So you're trying to look at why has uh, this happened to this patient? oh, well, I think this has happened because they've got this wrong with them, which has caused this, which has caused a bit of that. And they're taking this at the same time, which has caused that. And that's why you're getting that problem coming out at the other end. So it's kind of having to go through all those steps, which has been made much easier by the fact for me, because, you know, I have to do it all the time with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a workaround, you know, we talked about this quite often, but it's, that's a common feature, certainly, um, of the way I've maneuvered around my dyslexia is, is you have to 
um, use workarounds to to do what other people seemingly can do quite easily mm. um, and uh, and own it and, and make it yours. Um, I don't I don't know if this is the same for you, but I certainly found when I found the thing that I was going to pursue, a re, you know, my my reason, as it were. So it's 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 my career as an actor. When mm. I realised that's all I wanted to do, um, I could I could lump um, uh, how difficult words were. You know, um, we often talk about words feeling like enemies. Um, you know, when you're when you're trying to get to grips with them, as opposed to uh, the friends I now feel them to be, the familiar sort of tools that you know I use in my arsenal as mm. a as an actor. When you find that thing, and 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 for you, it, it was it's 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 treating people, caring for people, being a doctor. When you had that that reason to um, go through that exposure uh, therapy, as 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 you call it, um, was it was it then easier for you? Yeah, I think finding medicine as the thing that I wanted to do above everything else, and. Then, as you say, it sounds like you know you've been able to grasp language for your job, which has meant that you're able to be more engaged with the words themselves and you know really fly with it. I think probably equally, I've found that medicine in itself is a bit of a is a bit of a language of itself. So the way that you describe things, the way that you talk about things, sometimes you you can use sort of words that seem to have you know really you know gone out of in the decades uh, long past but you you seem to you seem to be able to uh use them all the time in medicine um but using that kind of language and that language having um being wrapped around medicine as a as a topic and me being really interested in it has meant that i've been able to you know work with it rather than against it yeah absolutely i mean i th- i think that fortunately for me it's probably the thing that sort of maybe engaged me with learning and engaged engaged me with being able to to take hold of you know of words of 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 numbers and things like that was being able to focus it on something that i'm interested in and so being able to be you know dropped into into learning about science and things like that you know because you've got to be able to because you, you've got to be able to grasp words and, and language and, and numbers and all that all that stuff to yeah. a degree to be able to engage with it by engaging with it you know you you know you're fascinated by it I, I used to have a uh, like a, a CD-ROM uh, computer program that was called like the human body it was it was you know what would look like pretty old kind of graphics now but they were oh, very yes. impressive at the time was it on Windows 95? Uh, so I, I had it on a, I had it on a very old version of a Mac, but, um, it was kind of like a Dorling Kindersley, like DK, uh, human body thing. And it was lots of swooshing graphics of blood and there was a man. So good. Yeah. You, you, you have experienced this as well. Have you? I, I absolutely have. I mean, you know, kids ask your parents, um, what these things are, but, um, (laughs) you used to load up, um, CDs from Dorian Kingsley, um, encyclopedias i remember i had an amazing history one about the way a battleship worked and um you could fire cannons and and uh, uh soldiers would scream when their legs were like blown off <laughs> i mean the, the graphics were were poor um but they were so it was so good i loved it 
Yeah, they, and they're great, aren't they? And they they sort of engage <laughs> you. And there was this ma- the, this sort of man that did all the sort of you know um, all the voiceovers for it about as you can see, we're moving into the human body, and you know all of that kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah, which which just engaged me so much. And I think you know all of that stuff gets you more ex- much more exciting excited in in learning stuff than ever you know primary school ever did really yeah oh absolutely absolutely i mean when you when you find that thing and you find yourself consumed by it um and it's something you think about you know when you're outside of school and and um you, you know you start picking it apart you know that's when you really know that's that's the thing that's that's the thing that you you should pursue mm. but i mean you're right I, even even someone like myself uh, the body and, and the science around the body biology i mean I'm, i vividly remember um going to the science museum and loving this is in london um loving yeah, everything from from the muscle the skeletal system uh the digestive tract i mean it's it's endlessly fascinating Oh, it's good, and it and you know it's uh it's it's maybe something that's slightly egotistical about the human race, but we love the idea that it all relates to us, and you know yeah. that they're your muscles and it's your heart that you've got, and this is how it works, and that's you know that's eminently interesting. It is, it is. What um this is this is one of my many hot takes with dyslexia. And I brought this up before on the pod, but I wanted to ask yourself in case you you had any um any thoughts on it, but the the evolutionary um reason behind uh the dyslexic brain versus for want of a better word a sort of a typical brain um you know typically dyslexics are lateral thinkers they're creative um why is it this quirk of of sort of different uh i, I don't know approaches in the brain because obviously language and written language um that's something you have to be taught, right? Walking, mm. speaking, you don't have to teach human beings how to do those things. They they develop those things. And in fact, if we, you know, the reason why we don't walk as soon as we're born is that we, it's because human beings walk around on two feet, isn't it? Um, well, mammals. Our, our heads are too big. If you put a baby on a skateboard, it'll, uh, you know, it'll push itself around. There's hilarious yeah. YouTube videos out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um why is it then, you know, that we have these things from an evolutionary standpoint? Is it is it because creative thinkers might well have said to our ancestors, you know, if, if you want to procure those berries from that tree up there, then we're going to have to think of a more creative way than just climbing up. Why don't we just stand on each other's shoulders? You know, it's 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 fascinating because it feels to me the only when language is introduced and written language is introduced and words, hmm. that's when we're exposed. But before then. We wouldn't have been, you know, it, it wouldn't have been that that struggle. People wouldn't be put through the the the, the sort of the struggle that we we uh, we share at school. Yeah, I mean, part of the sort of magic of evolution is the variation in people, isn't it? Because you need you need variation to ever drive evolution forward and to be able to, you know, survive if a if a big selection pressure comes in. That, that wipes out a sort of a select group of people. You've got to have variation to mean that people are outside of that that normal to be able to get away from whatever problem comes and, and wipes out h- half your lot. So, yeah. you know, 
yeah, probably being able to have some level of lateral thinking or thinking differently about about problems probably does play into that and uh, probably does offer you some benefit. Of course, you know, if the majority tend to gravitate around sort of written words and be able to construct, you know, the social uh, cultures and stuff around those, then, you know, yes, the people that are maybe slight variants to that are going to struggle with that. But, you yeah, know, it's important at the same time to do, isn't it? Yeah. I, people, people often, um, they either ha- haven't read The Origin of Species or they misquote Darwin and they misunderstand his theory on evolution because they take it to mean um, survival of the fittest. And that's not, that's not the argument that he presents. He presents the argument that it's, it's the organism which is most susceptible to change is what will survive. So, you know, uh, Neanderthals were, they were broader than us, they were quicker, they could sprint, and they had bigger brains, but um, uh, our ancestors, our collective ancestors, we are, for whatever it was, our, our genetic makeup was more susceptible to change, therefore we survived. And that sort of fits into that, like being able to adaptively think and think in a different way helps you helped us to survive. Hmm. Well, I, I hope it, I hope it helps us in, in life anyway, or at least yeah. um, it's nice to, it's nice to tell ourselves that, that uh, that's going to be how it uh, gets us out of sticky situations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you've already talked about how you um, developed works rounds, you know, inventive, changeable, flexible thinking in order to um, to learn and, and, and get through medical school. Yeah. So looking on your website, um, you sell a number of things, uh, craft work that look and feel like learning aids. And, and certainly the, uh, the podcast, um, the Medico podcast uh, feels at times, you know, you have uh, episodes which absolutely will help uh, young uh, medical students with revision and, and, um, and going over things. Was that something you were, you were cognizant of when you, um, when you developed them? Yeah. So, you know, obviously we've got a load of different things on our, on our marketplace, on our website, um, that are that kind of healthcare medicine inspired that people can use to learn. We've got, as well as the kind of gifts and things like that, that are medical inspired, we've got loads of the kind of, um, revision cards, flashcards, very visual aids, which I think people find really helpful. But as well, our podcast, I think we wanted to make it really conversational, actually, because one of the ways in which uh, people learn in medicine is through doing, is through talking, is through reasoning out scenarios and situations. And so me and my other half, Emily, who's also who's a medical student, um, I, I ask her questions because that's actually one of the sort of classic uh, ways we learn um, that isn't, you know, you might think that we're all sort of heads stuck in a book all of the time learning that way. But actually, one of the main ways in which people learn in medicine is through experience, it's through conversation, it's through reasoning. And so we try and put that into our into our podcasts. So we're able to talk about a, a real live uh, sort of case situation 
and then go through the different aspects of that, looking at you know the diagnosis, investigations, management, what are the bits of science around that, bits of medicine and physiology around those elements to try and increase our understanding all through. I think that probably would be quite beneficial, particularly if you're if you're someone that finds it really difficult to just sit there and read a book, um, you know, from cover to cover, which, you know, don't get me wrong, most people find difficult. Uh, but particularly, you know, if you're a slow reader, if you if you suffer from dyslexia and you're a medical student as well, you know, you might find it really useful to be able to plug your ears in and start getting involved in those in in our conversations, in our in our sort of teaching. I mean, you know, you can try and get the answers faster than Emily does, you know, see if you can uh, <laughs> beat her to the answers of uh, any of the questions that I ask. Um, but certainly I think it's something that could really help people. Um, so I, I'm unabashed about this. Um, I adore the NHS. I, I love it. And I think, um, it's something that should always be protected. Um, yeah. because it is a gift. It was a gift given to the British people after the second world war as an admission by the establishment that they hadn't looked after us properly, you know? And, uh, my, my big thing is protecting it. Um, I, I, the last thing I'd want to see is, is for us to move into a privatized system like the U S and how expensive that is and how ruinous that is for people. Um, I'm going to assume that's, that's something that, that, that you care about. Oh yeah, definitely. I, protecting, you know, what we have as such a fantastic free at the point of view service is, you know, it's so, Im- so important to be able to, to get that no matter who you are is, is fantastic. And to get such, you know, high quality of of care and quality of investigations and quality of you know treatments no matter who you are is is phenomenal completely have you felt um in the last few years that uh, our our current government have been have been trying to move towards that i mean I, i've sort of seen and read things which it feels like it's like they're attempting death by a thousand cuts you know they're they're trying little little privatizations here little procedures there and and slowly but surely they you know they underfund the nhs and don't give it the money it needs so people get you know frustrated and go oh what's the point let's just all right we'll just pay for it ourselves <laughs> yeah i mean i think there's there's an argument there isn't there that i think people made the point that you know are they are are, are there people with sort of nefarious aims to 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 make it fall over so that they can sell it off and stuff and I, I hope I hope not you know I I you know I'm I try to be optimistic about that but um yeah I think I think what we probably have seen through I don't know I I can't speak from a long extensive NHS kind of career but as we've kind of seen in in other sectors and things that when you're trying to um, get some of these big companies big privatized companies to take on services they sometimes just don't get run in in the in the right way and you know end up costing you more than it's worth and you know could have just been done done by the people who were already doing it themselves really rather than trying to to bring someone in who says they'll do it on the cheap i think you know i think we've we we i'd hope we start to learn our lesson from that but i suspect we probably won't yeah yeah i mean there's a bit of me that thinks this this has probably been a for those people within this current government who might want to privatize this the pandemic has been an absolute nightmare because you know 
um, as hollow sometimes as clapping on the Thursday sometimes felt for me when I was like, you know, great, we're all clapping, but can we give them more money and can we give nurses a pay rise and, you know, can yeah. we pay doctors what they're worth? Um, in terms of, you know, the the outpouring of love and affection for our NHS is is huge. I mean, I can't, not since probably the 2012 Olympic ceremony where uh, have been people sort of unified in, in how wonderful yeah. it is. And then you've also got the absolute disaster of the track and trace system um, and the misspent money on PPE and paying like, you know, outside contractors like £700,000 a day or whatever it was. Um, and then, you know, you look at how quickly you guys have um, rolled out the injections you know, people mm. go, okay, well, oh, look, the, the trained health professionals actually know how to administer uh, 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 vaccinations. <laughs> who would who would have thought it? Yeah, I mean, who would have thought? Like, uh, yeah, I think you've, you've said it pretty well there. Um, I think there's a lot of frustration that, you know, that we're able to, to funnel lots of money into these things which seem to give us incredibly limited results which i think you've, you've you know you've mentioned sort of track and trace and things and it, it's felt like that's been a bit of a, a unfortunately felt like that's been a bit of a failure on on many counts um yeah. whereas you know actually when i think about the work that um we've done in departments when when we were planning you know when we sort of saw this coming over the hill um yeah you know back in back in march and before and, and saw that it was you know going to be the thing that was going to change everything we you know we kicked it into gear and we're able to able to you know be so flexible and have people i mean I, it's it's hard to it's probably difficult to um to describe what it would feel like move people when people have been sort of redeployed or moved to other areas outside of what they would normally do i mean so you're an, you're an actor but mm. i know you're you're doing something different in in podcasting but if you'd you know if you'd suddenly been asked to to drive a train the next day you'd you'd be feeling <laughs> quite anxious about that i imagine yeah, yeah and would. you know we we've had people who you know have just been so flexible and so dynamic to to throw themselves into new positions in new roles learning new skills um, and being able to offer, you know, great care and stuff from from the get go, and people that have turned into, you know, fantastic teachers who didn't could, or couldn't have seen themselves prior as people that could, you know, offer that teaching experience and be able to to teach people skills. They've been sort of equally forced into the position of teaching people who've been redeployed into situations how they do how they do things, and you know, mm. my my example that I always think about it for that is you know is some of our intensive care nurses who you know who are the probably some of the people that you could argue have borne a significant brunt of um the kind of strain of the pandemic and you know Absolutely. they they had to really turn into into people who were you know teaching anyone who came into that department you'd have you know pediatric dental nurses working in intensive care alongside uh you know vastly experienced critical care nurses intensive care nurses who were you know trying to teach them skills on how to look after these patients uh how to use the equipment that they use you know all of that stuff all the turnaround all the skills and all the kind of leadership that's that's there in existence has really come out which i think is 
remarkable and you know it makes me really proud to to be able to be a part of that absolutely absolutely and i have to give a, a shout out to my uh so i'm a pt as well as an actor um thankful that i can i can still work uh at that during the pandemic so the guy who runs the gym um that i'm currently working at he's also dyslexic and and he is a uh was a physio for the nhs and he mm. he absolutely made himself available and he was you know he was so adaptable amenable flexible to however he could help um at the at the start of the um lockdown last march mm. so i mean i think there's something about um any any group of people who go and apply a level of excellence a, a, one of your guests i think it was yeah i think it was your guest you had for the your mental health podcast she mm. was saying how do- doctors quite often they are actively trying to be the best that they can mm. be in their class we have to be the, you know the, there's a sense of competition which you said you know obviously can adversely affect you in terms of your mental health but um i find that as well in when i've walked into rehearsal rooms or onto a set with a collective of actors who are actively pursuing excellence Mm. um and there's a degree of flexibility like what's being married together is um they really care about what they do they really care about being the best that they can be at it and they have a sense of the collective like we're all in this together you know there's there's oddly for what is quite an egocentric um profession it's put aside in lieu of like this there's a story we need to tell and we're going to tell the best story we can Mm. and i and it's i I can imagine it's it must be so difficult if you're trying to um privatize the nhs and you're coming up against a group of people who you trying to demonize them is so difficult because they are they work ridiculous hours they work so hard and they're trying to save people's lives (laughs) and they're Mm. trying to they're trying to be good at their jobs um and that's just the sense that you get and i I do think that is reflected in in the love um that people feel for the nhs and and uh and the support they've tried to give them you know you Mm. see it i see on my my feed like small businesses who try who send meals to to hospitals and um just try and help in whatever way they can it is it is lovely i think you know you when we've when i've been talking to to patients families and and their loved ones about you know how they're doing and how they're getting on and stuff they're always really appreciative of of the care they're getting and things and it is lovely to see the kind of general outpouring of uh, of appreciation that's all that's that is really nice to see because you know as you say we're, we're all genuinely trying to to try our best to look after people and you know we yeah. we absolutely want what's what's best for them and and you know trying to trying to to get them to be in as as healthy as they can be so you know it's it's really nice yeah i'm sure it is i mean on the other on the other side of that i'm sure people have seen here and in america there are um some very misguided people, if we're going to uh, be uh, polite about it, um, who are um, COVID, you know, activists or who are actively believe it to be a hoax. Um, have you have you encountered these people, like you know, at your place of work? Um, so fortunately, uh, we've not had them um, sort of outside the door. And my other half has uh, has has been at a hospital that's that's had them sort of uh, protesting outside before and things. Um, 
but fortunately I've managed to avoid them. But you can't avoid you might be able to avoid them in person. But um, it's it's hard to avoid them online as well. Sometimes there can be that sort of insidious uh, nature to it that you know you 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 know you find that uh, you know someone who you're you're friends with on Facebook sort of sharing sharing something. And you think, oh God, actually, what is that? What are they you know? And then you sort of stumble upon it. Um, but yeah, so you know, I've come a, I've come across um, people who sort of shared videos of. Uh, of, oh look quiet corridors in a hospital and um yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 you know um you know you have to the the unfunny side of it is the fact that it you know it's misinformation the funny side yeah. is the fact that they're that they're filming like an outpatients department on a sunday at like 8 p.m so you know of course there's no one there because no one yeah. holds outpatient appointments at 8 p.m on a sunday um, it's, you know, you want to take them to the busy place, but the busy place, yeah. you know, inside A&E or uh, in all these units and on the wards and stuff, unsurprisingly, these people can't get into. <laughs> and that's yeah. why they can't film it. But, um, but yeah. yeah, so, you know, you do have to, you do have to kind of try and work against that. And I think it is really important to be able to, to, to challenge that where you see it and, and be able to have those conversations because, you know, yes, it's really important to be able to have the right information out there. And although we all seem to have a platform now through the internet, um, you know, we need to be so careful about what we share about and and where that comes from. Well, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, I try and put myself in your shoes. You spend the entire day, as you've said, having difficult conversations with family members, you know, um, you know, preparing them for, for the worst. And then, you see something online and it's totally at odds with your lived in experience. You know, you're mm. like, no, I, I had, you know, I've seen it. I've seen what it does. And I've, I've had to prepare families for the, for the inevitable. Mm. And then, and then to see that, I mean, it must, <laughs> I can only imagine that it's, it must be infuriating. Yeah. I think it, it is, it is quite infuriating, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think you could you could let yourself get very angry about it, um, but you know I, I I try not to sort of take that approach. I think I try to try to more think that you know yes okay there will always be some people at, at one end of the spectrum that will you know always think that there's no way you can ever change their mind. They are very set in 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 their thought process about about you know. And about the fact that COVID is a hoax and that maybe they believe in the lizard men as well. And they maybe have a collection, <laughs> collection of conspiracy theories yes. that they that they enjoy. but And seemingly yeah. contradictory ones as well. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, was, I was saying this the other day that, you know, if 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 I could believe that, you know, that, that, that it was all a hoax, it would it would definitely speak to the fact that you know, things are, uh, would be a lot more organised overall than uh, than they probably are because it would have to involve so many people all sell, you know, selling the same story. Uh, you yeah. know, from from absolutely uh, everyone all through uh, all through government down to you know the cleaners and and everyone having to having to sell the same uh, crazy story. But um, <laughs> exactly, no, exactly. I mean, it's a completely different podcast than one one would do with a psychologist. But just you know, <laughs> the seeming, I don't know. Um, you know the, the the last ten years or whatever it is, where ideas like that and conspiracies can be incubated and encouraged in such a way online and on social media, 
you know, like like you say, like David Icke and the lizard people and, and QAnon in America, you know, there's an international ring of lizard pedophiles who are trying to take over the world and Donald Trump is going to stop them. You know, things like that. You just think, <laughs> what what is it about the human psyche? Is it because, you know, we're all in this awful situation of a pandemic and our lives are compromised and people's businesses are stopping and they think um, it can't simply be a, a disease that we haven't got a handle on. No, no, that's way too easy. It has to be that the doctors are all making it up. I don't know. I, <laughs> if that if that offers people some comfort, I'm not sure it does really. But um, no, yeah. Who who knows? Who knows? That's definitely one one to bring up with a, a, a psychologist. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, I'd love uh, to empower you at this time to, if, if you feel it, to to give people advice about how they can help because I know we're all feeling um, powerless. But um, you know, even if it is as simple as you know, just keep washing your hands and and please stay indoors. Um, to hear it from you, I think would be would be good. Yeah, I mean, yes, obviously following the you know following the guidelines that are set out, absolutely. You know, washing your hands and 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 trying to keep your keep your best to to keep your distance between yourself and other people to to try and reduce the the spread of coronavirus is so important. Um, you know. I would say you've got to you've got to look after yourself and be, uh, you know, sensible and be attuned to to yourself as well because you know actually, you know, when you when you think about you know people catching coronavirus and stuff, it can be so insidious. They can you know not really not be aware that they've got it and they can, you know, feel relatively well and and shrug it th- seemingly think that they're sort of shrugging something off, but. You know, you just got to kind of be aware of aware of it. I think, but I don't know. I'm saying be aware of it, but you know, how can you not be? There's, uh, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to avoid at the moment, isn't it? It so is. I, so I don't. I don't know. I think you know. Obviously, go and get the vaccine when they offer it to you. That's the that's the the obvious thing to do because that's a good know, one. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, go go get the vaccine. That that makes sense. I've I've had it. It was fine. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and currently all of my colleagues have had it, so you know that's fantastic. Um, so yeah, absolutely. When it's offered, go and go and get it. Absolutely, I second that for sure. Um, that is the perfect place to end it. Um, thank you so much, Jonas. Um, and we're gonna put links um, for how we can get you on social media, and also for your uh, wonderful podcast, the Medico Podcast. Um, do do give it a listen. Um, thank you so much for for joining us today. Uh, You've been wonderful. That's all right. Very lovely to speak to you. Thanks. You have been listening to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me, Jude Monk-McGowan. My guest today was Dr. Jonas Hayes. There are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its many services, go to dyslexia-help.org. And please, if you have the time, support the podcast. Rate, subscribe, give us a little review wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Acast, Spotify, it really helps us grow. Thank you so much.